Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 4 of Banter with Bells. On today's episode, I was able to interview one of the most influential people in my life. This man is caring, comedic, and creative. The person I am describing is the great and powerful Sean Kinley. Coach Kinley is originally from Strongsville, Ohio, where he graduated from Holy Name High School. He continued his academic and athletic career at The Ohio State University, where he studied marketing and wrestled for the Buckeyes. Coach Kinley is currently an art teacher and wrestling coach at St. Edward High School in Lakewood, Ohio. During this conversation, we were able to discuss his art, teaching, and athletic career. I hope you all can sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. So obviously, I know you from St. Ed's. We got to know each other, but I want to know, when did you first start dealing with art, and when did you start taking it seriously? I was always drawing when I was six years old, seven years old. I was always drawing pictures, and... At the time, though, you're in grade school and everyone's doing that. You know, like Sister Rita at St. Joe's, Joe's and John's, where we went, mm-hmm. go Vikings. She would, like, have us do a Bible story. We'd have to illustrate it. So everyone had to draw it. Like, the whole class had to draw it in their notebook. Like, you have to, like, write, a, you know, part of the the guys fishing, you know, you know, and, and Jesus makes the, the um, you know, multiplying the loaves and the fishes. And then we'd have to draw it out. So when we drew it, everyone was drawing it. So I just assumed everyone drew it. Mm-hmm. Like I like everyone, I didn't think it was strange. And then in fifth grade, Miss Molek, who is Mrs. Federley eventually, I don't know if you ever had her, she probably retired, Joe's and John's, she would always be like very complimentary. She was very instrumental for me, like like complimenting me. You know, it's just the power of a compliment was very, or, you know, like encouragement. You know, like, That's really good. That's really good. Which I was always drawn a lot, and a lot of other people saw it, but she particularly came around. And I didn't put her hand on my shoulder and be like, hey, that was really good, you know. Which I didn't know she was a California art teacher before she came to, um, I found out later she told me that. Yeah. Very um, encouraging. That was where I started being like, I think I'm better than other people. I think this is something I'm really, and I love doing it. And her encouragement was very, so I kept going. Then in high school, 10th grade, I did this Charlemagne picture, which I probably had at St. Ed's, this black and white the king with that real detailed yes. yeah mm-hmm. I did that over the summer when I brought it in the fall my art teachers and, and when I finished it I was like this is sweet um, I think I did it all through sophomore year I did it over Christmas because that was to get me out of French class because my art I was so bad at French I was going to fail French and I just did this I carried Sister Galati's bags to the elevator every day just tried to be as charming as possible and that's the French teacher the French teacher yeah. I would fail every t- every test was like a D minus I'm like I'm going to fail French and every report card would be an A minus it was crazy like this is awesome this is working you know <laughs> <laughs> and I did that but I did that paint that drawing of Charlemagne to try to be extra credit to get me out, which I showed her. And I don't even know if he was a French king. I still don't even know. I don't know. He might have been German, you know, but it sounded French. Right. So I turned it in and um, whatever. But I showed my art teacher and she flipped out. Miss Racy at uh, Holy Name. She was like, this is amazing. Like, this is. And that's what I'm like. And I kind of know, I'm like, this is awesome. I can't believe I did this. I can't. I, this is so cool. And so that really got me going. And then she made me do a, a painting the next year. She's like, I won't teach you anymore unless you, until you do a painting. Which I'm like, I don't, I didn't, I still don't even know if she was allowed to do that. Like, refuse to teach me. You're hired to teach me. You can't refuse to teach me. But she's, she's like, I won't teach you anymore unless you do a painting. 
I'm like, all right, I'll do the painting. I was really mad, and <clears throat> I just tried it because I really was hyper-controlled at the time. I was very controlled. I liked having, you know, that pen tip, being able to control the tip. And then, but a brush is like, you're losing control. It's very open and loose. So, which is interesting because that's like, that whole trip to Denver was like that, losing control and something awesome turned out, you know, like someone forcing me, because I felt like God forced me on that trip on the same level. And this teacher forced me to paint, do something I didn't want to do. I was not, it was unknown, it was uncomfortable. And it turned out amazing. It just turned out. Do you remember what that painting was? Yeah, it was like that Jay Schrader Redskins quarterback. I had it hanging in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my first painting. It was off of a Sports Illustrated. Yeah, Sports it, Illustrated cover. Yeah. And it was just like, uh, you know, and that style is the same style I have now. Like, it was in my hand all along. And I never practiced that. Like, I was always super controlled. And then right out of the gates, I'm painting like this loose style, you know. But I love Leroy Neiman who, he has a loose style. If you don't know him, he was in all the Rocky movies. He uh, he was the ring announcer when Rocky fought Thunderlips. Remember when he fought Thunderlips, Hulk Hogan? You know, in the, I've never seen a Rocky. I've seen the Creeds, but I haven't okay. seen So welcome to America, yeah. first off. <laughs> yeah. And then you need to go watch. I think it's Rocky. So it's when he fought Mr. T. So he's, so a, that'd be he's a painter and an actor? No, he's really just a painter, and then he would do these paintings for Rocky, and probably in exchange, part of the deal was, you're going to put me in the movie. I want to be in this movie. Okay. So he, he did enough. He was the ring announcer. He came down and said, thank God, you know, like, when the when the whole thing was over, and he's got this big handlebar mustache. So he's, he's real personality. He lived, his studio was in Manhattan, right on uh, 57th or 58th Street, like, right next to the... Uh, Tonight Show studio. Okay. He was in the center of a big personality. He always smoked a big cigar, big handlebar mustache. He did all the Playboy. He Every edition of Playboy, he'd have a painting in it. So he was like with the high flyers, the big uh, affluent people. But then he was trying to mainstream. In 76, it comes around here because 76, which I was seven years old, in 1976, McDonald's in Strongsville, every McDonald's. To this, but I remember going through McDonald's and Strongsville on Pearl Road. Pearl Road, yeah. <laughs> that was that was basically the mall back then. Before there was the mall, Pearl McDonald's Road. was the mall. Like yeah. after the Mustangs games, we would go there, and and just it was just wall to wall kids, just the way Bay Point um, was the right. other day. Wall to wall kids just smashed in there, and the cop would just this huge cop, Mister Stepanovich. Officer Stepanovich, two six foot five, six foot six. He would just come through and just grab kids. Get out of here. Get out of here. We'd get one bag of fries between four of us and just sit there and just like eat the fries and just look for checks. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, and he'd see us and say, out of here. But it was great. But that McDonald's, I went through the drive-thru and they were doing a promotional in 76 that he was the main artist of the Olympics. The official artist was Leroy Newman. Went through with my family, drive through, we got a bag of, you know, whatever, all our McDonald's. And they gave you this promotional poster. This was before, this kind of was one of the first promotionals McDonald's was doing, giving giveaways when you buy food and tying in some promotion. So the Olympics tied in with McDonald's, hired this artist to do a series of four Olympic um, images that you could still buy on the internet. I mean, they're still very popular. I got this swimming one, these runners. And I stuck them in my wall and had McDonald's and Libra and Newman. I remember pulling away, looking at that poster, saying, this dude in New York City did this painting, and I'm sitting here in Strongsville, Ohio, 
holding this image. This is so cool. Like, one day, I don't know if I even said that out loud, but this would be so cool to be able to do this, you know. Like, just, it sparked something in me. At seven years old, like, I connected, like, that. Fast forward to Ohio State. I'm sitting in class marketing 650 with Roger Blackwell, who's the Blackwell Hotel is named after at Ohio State. Best teacher I ever had. What, guy. what year is this? Freshman year? Or? This was, no, near my, it's probably my junior year, senior year. I was in the marketing school of marketing, you know. Five majors later, I switched to marketing. Like, whatever, I'll just be a marketing major. I love this stuff, you know. It was really cool, but my dad was a marketing major. He's like, don't market, don't do marketing because it's useless. I'm like, how do you know? It's like, because that's the major I had. <laughs> so, but it still got me, uh, it, it's good, it's well rounded stuff. You learn all this stuff. But in that, he said, he's like, you know, these Swiss watches take steel. Titanium, or no, stainless steel, and it goes from being this an ounce to ten thousand or a thousand dollars an ounce. They put it in a watch, it goes from being you know whatever it is an ounce, way cheaper, but it goes up like a thousand fold when you turn it into a watch. Right. Artists take a painting and put it on a piece of paper. You can buy a ream of paper for you know I don't know eight hundred dollars. These huge sheets. You put this artwork on it, and then it goes to be in $100,000. You'd sell them for you know, $300 a sheet you know, or $100 a sheet. So you take a piece of paper that was maybe $3 a sheet, you could sell it for $100 a sheet when you put this artwork on it. That was one of his examples specifically. I remember sitting in that class and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, that's what I want to do. So yada yada, probably seven years later, I save up enough to do my first print of Eddie George with Ohio State, that was my first print. Did it big, did all this test marketing, asked people, they're like, we don't know, we've never done this. All these Ohio State distributors, never done anything like this. We think it'll be, um, we don't know. We'll, we'll, I'm like, will you try it? Yeah, we'll try it. So I run it, did a limited edition, signed and numbered. That's, that was the thing back then, you sign and number, and I numbered 490 of them. Oh wow. Specifically, like, and that was 70 times, seven times. That's how I chose that number. That's how many times Jesus said you would forgive someone. You could needed to forgive. Like how many times one someone asked him, how many times do I need to forgive someone? It's like seven times to Jesus. He asked, should I forgive him seven times? He's like 70 times, seven times. That's how many times you need to forgive someone. So that's why I chose that number. I'm like, that's like uh, I'll do, you know, out of 490, and we sold it out that whole edition. It's pretty amazing. And we were selling for 90 bucks to start with. And I kept creeping up the price to 135 bucks each. So we sold out, you know, a ton of them. Were you still in college when this happened? No, I was uh, just out of college. I think I did it, um, no, it's not, not just out of college. Because it took me like six, seven years to, you know, get enough money to and research it, how to do it, everything, how to print it. I, I hired people, a consultant to help me put it together. And, and um, it was like... $4,180. I still remember. I had to collect that much money on the side after bills to go pay this uh, Geary Graphics to print it. Turned out awesome. And we just we did it right. Did it awesome. People love it. People still tell me I've got it hanging on my wall. And so who sold? Um, it was College Traditions and um, all these different, like, uh, Little shops in Columbus? Or? Yeah, these yeah, these shops in Columbus, Buckeye Corner, 
Buckeye Corners is still there, but they got bought by Lids. So everything turns over, it seems like, every 20 years, all these distributors, everything went big. Like, Lids bought Buckeye Corners. And this is, like, Lids Hats? Yeah, Lids Hats bought, bought out Buckeye Corners. So, like, it went big corporate. They didn't want to deal with little guys, really. They wanted to just deal with, like, Nike and, you know, the big, the big dogs and not have a bunch of little little guys. So it kind of pushed out little guys. Things transitioned, you know. So in that case, I mean, I was already being pushed to do like the cityscapes of Cleveland, you know, like doing those. So we did that series. That was taken off. Women allow this in their house. You know, like the, the cityscapes. What do I have behind me? Yeah, like cityscapes. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Women will allow that upstairs. Before that, all my stuff went in basements and bathrooms pretty much. Yeah. You know, we had like art, sports art is going to be in a basement, a man cave, you know. So... You know, the family budgets don't usually allow for huge... Unless you're in Columbus. Columbus would allow for it. But up in Cleveland, you know, where I was starting to spend more time up here, you know, I was getting, got married, and, you know, it's like God knew, like, you need to transition. You know, God always sees in the future. He sees, like, this is what's going to happen. So I didn't really like transitioning to cityscapes because I was into sports. I was really into Ohio State at the time, you know. So, but it was a good plan. God's plan got me doing that so I was prepared for when things would change over you know I could have gone and forged it you know and try to really make these uh, relationships work but they were just they were carving you know I was, I was licensed with Ohio State so they were they were kept asking more and more money like when I started it was 8% 98 was when I was first um, licensed with them I still had the license but um, they moved it up to like 12% and then every bowl game they get into they they hit you again for that then the um, the NIL thing just like ruined it like you can't I could get a license with Ohio State but then if I was going to do like Ezekiel Elliott I'd also have to have an agreement with his agent really which is like yeah it's like impossible and um, well no no Ohio State and his agent and those agents won't return a call unless you, you have the M word in there like million mm-hmm. it's like, and it's annual like I have to pay everyone a million dollars annually it was just not crazy. You know? So I'm like, God's not in, it just seems like God's moving me on, you know, from that. So it was just this year that I had to let my trademark and licensing license go. I just, with Ohio State? I just let it go because it was essentially useless. You know, I mean, I couldn't, I was licensed with Ohio State, but I wasn't licensed with any of the athletes in the picture. So I just let it go and we were, we're just basically donating money to Ohio State. We pay our, you know, whatever it was, 800 bucks a year or whatever it wound up being, just, just to get in the door. Then you got to pay percentages of what you sell. Is that the same way with NFL, MLB? you got to get licensed? Yeah, and then you could do these limited licenses with them, which, which Ohio State will probably come around to. And they probably are if you if you investigate where GDR does that. They'll buy, like, a limited license for, like, three to five to six players you can do up to six players for a smaller amount. And you're not just unlimited license with the, the Indians. So they'll pick their guys. That's how they, they're legal. And they get away with that. Because they're a big company, but they're not paying. I, I don't know that they can. I don't know what they make, but I don't think they can afford to pay a player. You have to pay Major League Baseball, Ohio State, and the player. All three. You need a relationship with them. So you have to pay them. I mean, I, I've never had anyone talk to me unless you're talking about you know? Yeah, so it's but they're they're doing a nice job, and they they entice. They have a really nice product, which I could eventually maybe look to get to that. But the players want to work with them. Like uh, Miles Garrett loves working with them. You know, like I 
they, they really, they're, they're getting a reputation. And so those guys will talk to each other. Nick Chubb, they have a great thing with Nick Chubb where they do like, uh, I think he loves Batman. So they have like a Batman thing with Nick Chubb, I think. Yeah, I've seen that. <clears throat> and he loves Batman. And he loves what they did. You know? Yeah, they're, they're, are you pretty close with them? Mm-hmm. Because don't they have a son? Or they're brothers, right? Yeah. They're, the they're, older brother has two sons at St. Ed's. Okay. And they do our FCA stuff. And I take field trips. I'll bring my art class to their, their uh, shop. And um, they're just really good dudes, you know what I mean? Like I kept saying, these guys are great artists, so at least hopefully they're jerks, you know? Yeah. At least they're going to be jerks, but no, they're not. They're super nice dudes, you know? And they go to St. Bernadette with us, you know, go Bulldogs, so. Go Bulldogs. <clears throat> yeah. So going back to college, you said you switched around majors. Was art ever an idea? Art was one for, so I started in engineering for a year. No one can believe that. What type was, of engineering? I don't think I ever got to picking it, but I think that the plan was mechanical. Okay. But, I mean, the first year was just, you know, I was getting my brains beat in. Um, it was crazy, man. Because it's like, those engineering students are no joke, man. They were like, you've seen it. I mean, yeah. I mean they're excited. Yeah, I, I was thinking about doing engineering freshman year, and I'm like. And I could do it, and I could have pulled it off, but I couldn't have walked on. I had to choose between that and wrestling. Just yeah. like you're, are you with architecture. With, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you were smart enough to do it. And, like, you could figure it out, but something's got to give, you know, like, so I loved it, and, and I, you know, I'm very proud, still to this day, I did a year of it, I did all the math, I mean, and no one can believe it, I did all the math, did the physics, the tough stuff, you know, I did, like, half of the weed out stuff, and then um, I switched to art for a quarter, they are just so weird, though, <laughs> it was like, come on, you know, these grad assistant teachers were just brutal. Even back then, they were pretty weird? Yeah, it's like, dude, what, you're trying to be a jerk. This is why people hate artists, is because of you guys. Like, you're trying to be so repulsive. And it really fed into my philosophy of, like, why I teach my class the way I do. Like, I'm not going to, and there's a lot of other artists in the past, Chuck Close, and there's artists like this that go out of their way to not use big vernacular, because it's very off-putting, you know, when you use huge, artsy words that we know no one knows, and people, it's repulsive to them. They're like... Uh, I don't know, rep- repelling, repelling is the word, you know, they're like, oh, it's, and I feel like it's on purpose, it's meant to put you on your heels to say, you don't know what I, you know, like, you, you know, I don't know why you do that, it feels insecure, like, it should be inviting, so I like my classroom to be more inviting, very doable, you know, up to the point of, like, not being chaos, you know, I mean? which we sometimes still get chaos in the class, but <laughs> we have some fun, but I want it to be, like, a good experience, you know, where people understand it, like, because people don't talk like that in the normal world, like with these huge artwork uh, words and stuff. You know? Do you think people are like that in the art world just because it's so competitive? Yes. And, and jealousy plays a factor as well. well and, and, you know, it's just like anything. Like, you know, in lacrosse, like, okay, if I can bully this person uh, off this team, then I have less competition. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just it. I think it's, let me bully someone out of this, which in this case, it worked. It bullied me out of the... Um, it's just miserable, you know, I'm like, and in the end, it was a blessing because <clears throat> someone's, if, if you got it, you got it, you know what I mean? Like the art stuff, I don't think I needed someone to teach. It would just be nice to, I don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And um, so in the end, I went to art school later on. After school, after my bachelor's, I went back. Um, Tri-C had some great teachers that were retired from Cleveland Institute of Art that I took them. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was like amazing. So like Shirley Campbell, 
was my life drawing teacher. She was phenomenal. And, and um, Charlene Green, she's really good. She's a painting teacher. And, you know, for a tenth of the price. Like, I took a Tri-C. And, um, You're getting top-notch teachers, too. Uh, I mean, yeah. Cleveland Institute of Art. they're bringing their new models, which all new models are. That never stops being weird. But, yeah, Cleveland Institute of Art. She was an international artist. Traveled all over Europe doing shows and stuff. So it was awesome. So I had a bunch of great teachers, but not in the traditional format of like an art college, that an art institute. And people, someone came in once in my gallery and they're like, and she just right point blank said, are you formally trained? And I'm like, sort of. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, she got, did you go to art institute? I'm like, no. She's like, I knew it. Because she's like, they would never have let you paint like this. Why is that? That is a great question. And she said, they just never, because they, they want to kind of break you down and build you back the way they want you. But then in the end, like, it's weird. Like, I could, someone said, like, you can pick out a Cleveland Institute of Art artist, graduate, like, out of a crowd. You could just say, like, that person, because they all draw the same way, which in the end really messes you up. You know, like, now you have created all this competition. Everyone's the same, you know, like, no one has a unique look as they go because there's teeth there's other artists in this building that are like that so they they can go out and eventually pull their their style back out of themselves you know but as far as like using black people are always yelling at me like oh yeah you use black i'm like yeah because i like it It looks good they're like well you're not allowed like okay just stop i i'm not even listening to this why why aren't you allowed to use black they said the impressionist back in the day never used black which they didn't I mean, I didn't know the rule, and so I just... But Leroy Neiman used black. That's who I studied, and he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. He was really good, and he used black. So this conversation's over. Like, I'm like, okay, just go out, whatever. I'm going to use black. Or just don't buy it. Don't buy my art then. So what's your opinion on abstract art, where it just looks crazy and you don't understand why it sells for millions of dollars? Well, and I just said this to someone. It sells for millions of dollars when there's a grant, typically. Or when if what? it has, I don't, you know, like, um, so I'll take it back. Jackson Pollock, he is his abstract, but it's a different level of abstract. There's a, there's a level of effort and layers, and there is some madness or method to the madness. But Jackson Pollock, do you know who that is? So Jackson Pollock, he has, I think his at least was the most expensive painting, and they have some at Cleveland Institute of Art. It's just like all these splats, 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 but layers of them. And somehow they do, it is kind of soothing looking at them to some degree. It covers some, and, it, and the um, breaking the framing edge, all, all this kind of stuff. It's, it like, the splats kind of go, and they cover, and um, you have to look at it. I mean, you can look them up. So it was in the one painting, it was in The, the Accountant, the movie The Accountant. Did you see that? With, um, with, uh, Dude in the Winnebago, not in the Winnebago, he was in the Airstream. He had the Airstream, wound up being this crazy killer. He had kind of autism. It was um, Ben Affleck. Okay. Ben Affleck. If you haven't seen it, the account oh, was awesome. Pretty good. Oh, yeah. really, really good, yeah. And there's a there's a Jackson Pollock in this movie, in this, because he winds up being very wealthy because he's a hitman. He has all this money on the side, buys an Airstream. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but there's a great Jackson Pollock in there. And it is very, his stuff... I do enjoy looking at, but all the other stuff, I said, there's a reason when you go to the art museum, everyone just goes past all the rooms with the most of this modern abstract stuff. And they go right to see the uh, Monet water lilies in the art museum. They'll go and see the impressions. 
They'll go and see the suits of armor. The stuff that they can understand. Yeah, and it's, okay. it is beautiful. It's, like, incredible. You know, the, the the medieval stuff, the armor is, like, it's awesome and it's scary at the same time. You're like, jeez. Because like, then you, you automatically are going to be picturing some dude getting hit by this weapon. And, like, jeez, these people had some tough stuff they run through. And then the other stuff, you know, it's just it's beautiful. You understand it. Yes, you understand it. You appreciate it. You know, like. You know, I, I don't, if I have to be there, I'll tell you, if I have to be there to explain the, the painting, I, I haven't done something right, I think. You know what I mean? It should pull you in. If you have a little blurb in there that explains a little extra to it, I guess that's fine. But a red dot in the middle of a white thing, and to say it sold for, I don't know, $9 million, that's going to make anyone mad. You know yeah. I mean? like, that's going to make people not like artists, right? Like, because I don't have $9 million. I've never sold anything I've you know, so it's just going to make... It's off-putting, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know who David Cho is? I've heard the name. But he, he's a creative... Like, yeah, he's a abstract artist, and he has his own show, and... Yeah, I, I don't understand his paintings either. But he, a lot of these people, there's grants and stuff that people can get. If you can get some grant place... What What is that? What is a grant? Well, a grant's like... Um, they have these big... And usually they're endowed by... Um, I don't know who endows. Maybe federal, like... Federal money will give them money to the national something of the arts, and then they'll say, "Okay, we have thirty million or fifty million dollars. We're going to pay someone to put um, a rubber stamp statue in the middle of uh, Cleveland. You know, the big stamp, yeah, the, the free stamp, the free stamp, yeah, big free stamp. I think that was paid for by a grant. You know, like that kind of stuff. Now that was a little more notable and, and well known and stuff. This dude does this stuff, but there's stuff that's like." maybe offensive that is just paid for there's some big ivory tower type of person some person high high whatever their values are whatever they decide they're like I'm gonna it's not their money they're, they're spending some federal money and I want to make a statement by just pissing people off I'm just gonna like put something that yep look at I'm gonna do this you know and just and um get away with it you know like and then everyone's going to be like, why? And it's and they get to stand back and use this definition that we learn in art school, that art's whatever you say is art. Right. They get to say that until I do something, you know, that they don't like. And they're like, that's not art. People tell me I'm a sellout. I'm like, I, I mean, after, if we've learned anything from all your guys' dumb definitions, it's art, whatever it says it is. You don't get to say my thing's a sellout now because I did a Browns picture that everyone buys like crazy because they love the Browns and I'm scratching an itch that everyone has and you call me a sellout I'm like whatever you know? which I you know people have said that oh, you're a sellout I'm like, I feel like that's just basic economics like seeing what people want and you know giving them what they want yeah it's marketing so yeah. that's what I wound up majoring was marketing and the marketing taught me you, you work backwards you know find out they need me to need Need to be, you know, make your, and I'll teach the students, you know, if you want to somehow do a, you know, I tell people it's tough to make a living, man. It's tough, you know, have teaching arts what I chose to do and that works well and then I can do it also, this, but make your, make your artwork consumable so it's bite size, you know, <clears throat> make it so someone can come up and just purchase it easily, priced easily, you know, like 50 bucks or less. You know, that's if you do an art show, they need to be able to make a quick decision 
spontaneous decision. They're probably not going to buy a $700 thing, um, you know, off the wall of canvas print or original for $600, $700 bucks spontaneously as they're walking past. They usually have to think about that. I've had it happen. Some people do do it, but it's that's not, you don't want to count on that. You know? Right. So going back to your art, what about like these, I'll never forget your Travis Kelsey story. Um, was it the Bush administration that had you make a painting for them? Like who, what are the biggest clients you've ever had? <clears throat> that was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Um, I did the painting for Bill Clinton and that was um, a, uh, an alumni, St. Ed's alumni commissioned me to do that because he was very in, in the political scene. He also just commissioned this Donald Trump, the same guy commissioned the Donald Trump painting. So that's going to be going on Donald Trump. This has been a couple of years in the making, right? Yeah, because that was supposed to go be given to him at the inauguration was the plan. In 2016? 2020. Okay. But he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we're still working. I mean, and I and I've been I've been like combination of bummed about the way that worked out, and it's still working. I mean, I still they just are waiting for me to finish it. I need to hotten up Melania a little bit, uh, yeah. just get her. Um, and she's looking in the face, but I need to just. I was a little nervous that my wife would get mad if I made it too hot, but I don't think she will. <laughs> I, I've dealt with that. I mean, I don't know. I've just mentally dealt with. Okay, it's just got to happen. And he's lost like thirty five or forty five pounds. Someone said. Okay. Did you hear that? I think I heard he went on some nice diet, and he's like, so i got to thin him up a little bit from when that picture was taken. He's getting older, though, and old people shrink. Yeah, if they're, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I saw he was at the UFC fight, like, oh, yeah. two nights ago or something. Oh, yeah, so that's the second one he was at. So mm -hmm. he did it again, because he was at another one with, like, Mike Tyson. Yeah, because he's good friends with that. Is it Dana White? Yes. The UFC guy? Yeah, and a few of the fighters. So when did you do the Bill Clinton? So that was 90. So when did he, so it was right towards the end of his second term. So like late night, like 96 to Yeah, I want to say 98 maybe, okay. 96, 98, somewhere 2000, somewhere like that. Yeah, maybe it was towards the end of 2000. So that was um, commissioned, and um, there was a recount when George Bush was elected. Everyone was screaming bloody murder. They, they did this recount, so it messed up the presentation I was supposed to be there at the presentation. They had to kind of rush the presentation, and I wasn't able to be there. So I was kind of salty about that. If, but if, it was in the Oval Office for the last three weeks of the presidency. They said he loves it. It's their favorite painting. It's at the Clinton Library. So we visited it there, and they said when we went in, they were like, they, they were really cool. Like They're just like, hey, this is our, you did that? I'm like, yeah, they're like, we'll, we'll personally escort you to it. And they let me and my wife, they brought us in to see it, so. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's huge. It was like six foot by four foot. Um, so, so it was Tony George, who commissioned it. Tony and Christine, um, his wife, they they both, um, so they, they paid for it to get there. They put a big sweet frame on it, and uh, it was really awesome. So if you would have gone to the presentation, would you have met Bill Clinton? Yeah, yeah. So awesome. that was the plan. And that's the plan with this one, too. It's like I said, this will not leave my hands until I'm, like, there, my family, me and my family will meet him there. Oh, that'll be, that's the uh, the carrot. So I got to get going on that. And get that'd it. be pretty sweet. Yeah. Do you ever get into slumps where it's hard coming back to a painting? Like you're 90% of the way there and you just want it done, but it's it's kind of hard. Yeah, 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 that'll be that last 10%. And that's kind of where I'm going with this one. And I've just got to like say a prayer. 
I, and, and sometimes I'll take a shot of whiskey. That's not the healthiest way, you know, <laughs> to take the edge off. But I may, I whiskey, you know, just went in Rome. I don't want to drink, you know, just a little bit. And then I'll do... Um, get the brain lubricated. Yeah, yeah. Just get me chilled out a little bit. No edibles. <laughs> Dude, Denver's crazy. Like, people just... Oh, my, bro- my brother lives there, yeah. Dude, I was just driving on 70... And I had a contact high just driving with the top down. And, dude, I'm going by truckers. And, dude, the blast coming through, the wind's just pulling their high into my car. I'm like, this is nuts, man. Have you ever heard about the Denver airport? I've been there. They it's, hand out free. They give, they have giveaways. Of this oh, really? Well. They give away, like, brownies and stuff. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> Where I was going with it, apparently it's haunted, the Denver airport. My mom was telling me this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. What, so what did you, what's the story? So there's multiple, there's multiple conspiracy theories, but one is it was built on Indian burial grounds. So there's that, and then... Did yeah, you they s- have all this weird stuff outside with these poles, like it's a, like it's an American, um, like, old camp, they have like these telephone poles sticking out like they're meant to keep people out or something. It's like oh, really? a reference to something. It feels like a reference to an Indian fort or an American fort with like these poles that, you know, like if someone were going to charge it with horses, these were like meant to skewer the horses, you know? Well, did you see, they have the, uh, the wooden, have you seen the wooden fences that are up kind of along yes. the highway? And yeah. those, that's for when snowstorms come Snowstorms, that's what I thought. Yeah, but, uh, but finish your, I'm sorry, cut no, you off. You're good. Have you seen the big blue Bronco? Has, yes, it, with the eyes. With the eyes. So apparently... The first person who was putting that up, the Bronco, fell on him and killed him. And then the same thing happened to the second person. What? Yeah, that's what I heard. And then... Well, dude, they're putting a Bronco... They were just a crane just two days ago. Yesterday, when I was driving through there, they're putting a Bronco like that size, a big white one on top of the stadium. Oh, okay. On top of the scoreboard. Uh Uh-huh. Dude, that's going to fall on someone. I mean, it looks like the same... It is enormous. And it looks cool as heck. That is cool. If that fell on someone, that would kill a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Well, and I heard something about those gargoyles in the old part, because there's a new part of the museum, but there's supposed to be all these gargoyles in the old part. That's why mom was getting to, and um, I'm like, mom, nervous enough, because I had this big job I had to do, and I'm like, I, I don't know, I, I, mean, I can't deal with ghosts on top of this, you know I mean? Like, <laughs> my own calendar screwed up here, like, uh, where I mix, mismanaged the whole event, but I figured it out, like, like you know. But so she was going there, something with these gargoyles. And like I said, maybe that's in the old section of the airport. Because this new section is all done like, she's like, do you see gargoyles? I'm like, no, I just, it's all set up like mountains. The new section looks pretty cool, I think. You yeah. have these big, like, kind of tent peaks. Have you been to that one? Yeah, where it's like a, yeah, it's like a tent. Yeah, yeah it's like a circus tent. A bunch of tents, yeah. So I think it's meant to look like mountain tops. It's what it's supposed to, I think. I mean, for a big airport, I like the Denver airport. I thought it was sweet. People are very nice. Yeah. They're kind of salty in Cleveland. I mean, compared to Cleveland, right? People feel kind of depressed. You know? Yeah, especially in the winter. Yeah. So, what about the going back to big wigs buying your painting? How did tell me the Travis Kelsey story? How did that pan out? So that's yeah, yeah. We got the the um, the um, Travis Kelsey was so there's two of my students, um, Andre and Aaron Eanes. They were um, they were agents for. Uh, Travis Kelsey marketing agents. Okay. So they were the agents. They were my uh, students. And when they were students of mine, they said, we're going to be sports agents. I'm like, what's your plan? They're like, we're going to be sports agents for Delvon Rowe. 
we're going to represent Del Bonro in the NBA. I'm like, and they're, they're brothers, you said? Yeah, they're twin brothers. That's yeah, I used to cool. cut the grass. They're from Strongsville, the mean streets of Strongsville. Brick Mill run back um, Deerfield and the High Point Woods. Okay. Where Joey Lavelle is. And it was, um, I used to cut the grass and they would fight like hornets. I mean, just, they'd be playing basketball. I'm cutting the grass. You could hear it over the, because I was in college cutting lawns, you know, pay for college. And, uh, man, these dudes are screaming over the side of this lawnmower, whipping the basketball at each other, just feisty. So, yada, yada. Years later, they're my students, when I'm teaching, and I'm like, you guys are tripping. I said, I remember when you guys used to fight in the driveway. Like, yeah, coach, whatever. And I'm like, what's the plan? They're like, we're going to be agents for Del Bar. I'm like, this is your plan? I mean, you know how hard it is for, I mean, I don't know if we've had one or two guys make it the NBA, but you're planning on him making the NBA. You are going to be his agents then. Who, who, planning on uh, like a classmate? Well, yeah, or, classmate. Uh, yeah. Del Bonro, who played for Michigan State, um, had some knee, you know, a lot of knee problems, fought through it, finished, but then wound up going into acting. So okay. I think they eventually wound up being his agent, but when he was an actor, this is a trip, you know, because he got in that just plays at Michigan State on the side, took an acting class. He just starts acting. You look at it, it's a trip, and he got some pretty good roles. Never really hit it huge, huge, but he got some good roles. Good looking dude, tall. Um, but they represented him a little bit, and but then they just transitioned and just started. They had this uncanny, uh, amazing confidence. Like, we're just going to do it. They would just just say the positive and just never let it um, stop being positive. You know? But both his, both their parents were very successful. Like, like they, they did the same thing. Like, the dad owned a bunch of, like, restaurants. The mom, like, just in Avon sales. I think sold Avon. Just very positive. Just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this and doing, like, this is your whole career? Yeah, just going to keep selling Avon. She just crushed it. She had a pink car or whatever, right? They give you a pink car when you sell a bunch of Avon. Yeah. They're just like doers, a like a know? pink Cadillac or something yeah, like that. Something yeah, something like that. And they just did it. I mean, they just had this amazing, they're like, yeah, yeah, coach, hey, yeah, do this thing for Travis Kelsey. We'll get it done. And I'm like, okay. And same with Denzel Ward. They did the Denzel Ward deal. We did a painting. So I did the painting for Travis Kelsey. We, um, and we presented to him. We, and we did a print of it, and he had this this charity event that he does where he helps kids both in Cleveland and in Kansas City, um, lower income areas with football equipment. Or not, not football equipment. I forget, but he does a lot of good work with you know what he, he does this modeling thing where the kids will model clothes and, oh, and cool. stuff like this. It's pretty pretty sweet. But in the end, he's just helping these kids a lot, and. Um, and just, he's got a great personality. So they put together these events. I was at the event, and um, they, uh, he's just the, the nicest. I mean, I'll always cheer for Kansas City. because, And his teammates would all go to him. Like the one in Kansas City, the whole offense showed up, and they're very supportive. Except for the dude, who's the receiver that went to Miami? Oh, Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Yeah. He was the only one not there, which is interesting that he's the one that cut bait. Yeah, because someone just told me Travis Kelsey took less money. We were just talking. Yeah, yeah. It took less money to keep them all together, so they were really. I mean, they're easy to cheer for. Like, because I just they were so humble, so nice, and the quarterback is uh, what's his name? Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. And he's a Christian guy. I guess he's this great Christian dude. You know? Did you meet him as well at the? Yeah, event? I oh. met him. I mean, I didn't talk to him a lot, but I was around. You know, I think it just. What what I, what stuck out to me is he was so. I was like. Oh my gosh, I forgot. And I'm like, what's he going to say? I was just kind of near him. He's like, 
I gotta get my mom really wants your autograph for this this other his other teammate. I need you to can you uh, would you sign this jersey for my mom? Who is this? Like a kid or? No, it was another player, one oh. of his teammates. Oh, okay. He's like, would you mind, would you please sign this for my mom? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, I want you to sign something for my mom. So these guys were, like, taking care of their moms, you know. Like, I, I was just, it was so the opposite of, like, I don't know. You know not everyone's like that, but, like, it's just really awesome, you know. And these dudes were all taking care of each other, like, like uh, trying to be very respectful to like the models when they're coming by like I remember that they had this runway this raised runway that they were sitting right by and the guy put his drink up there and Travis had specifically said don't put your drinks on the runway because the girls are walking right. the kids are walking and the one um, guy had his uh, drink there it was like one of the line or something and Travis looking down and yelling at him and the guy thought he was waving it he was like hey hey he's like no get your drink off the thing and he's like oh okay okay so I'm sorry like, he didn't get pissed or nothing. Like, they could talk to each other. But Travis was, like, taking care to be respectful to these models. that They weren't professional models. They were, like, kids that he was making very special for them. You know, like, everyone, it was just such a neat spirit. You know, like, we're, you know, we all hear, like, terrible stories of, like, you know, athletes having big egos and not being that way. But they were not that way. And then they wound up winning the Super Bowl, or they went to the Super Bowl that year. Were they in the Super Bowl and just missed it? Did, did they lose the Super Bowl? Well, yeah, they lost it when they played Tampa Bay. So that Tom was Brady. the year that they, I mean, they went to the Super Bowl but lost it. But they, they had won it before this. Right, exactly. And then they had, but no one knew where, this was like in the offseason. This was like, I don't know. It, you know, it was, it was in the offseason. It was during the season, too. Was it in Kansas City? Did you fly? It was fly in Kansas up? City, yep. I flew there, went to that. And so that's the other thing. It was during the season, and these dudes all went to it. During the season, like you're pretty busy during the season, and they made time, a big nice evening event, and um, just good dudes, you know. And I'm like, I'm cheering for these guys, you know. Like, yeah. You can just tell you don't fake that stuff after hours. Like these guys were good dudes, and then we did, um, yeah, the Denzel Ward thing that was really cool. They they arranged the same thing. Like um, we did, I don't know if we did any. I was trying to work out, so I'm still trying to work out an event with Denzel Ward. But they still... Because um, he's an Ohio State guy too, right? Yeah, Ohio State, Bedford. No, no, not Bedford. His dad worked for Bedford because his dad had this sudden heart attack and his dad died real... What He was athletic director at Bedford. So his whole thing is about his dad, his charity thing. And you know, like the Kelsey's from Cleveland Heights. Right. That's cool. Has, has anyone ever contacted you about something with like Miles Garrett or Nick Chubb? No. No. No, I would have to. A lot of these things I need to kind of initiate or know someone because they're just so sought after. You know what I mean? They, it would be neat, but I mean, even GDR, like, they they were very, you know, it's like a full time job. I mean, you have to go after these guys, stay home, stay home. They <clears throat> pursued those contracts, kept presenting things. You have to be very resilient, you know, like to rejection and stuff and like keep. You know, if they block you this way, be nice. Try to, you know, present it a different way. You know, that's what I've learned from most guys. Just hearing their stories. They are very, um, you know, like like anything, opportunities, most great opportunities don't just walk up to you and knock on your door and say, hey, you, you want this million-dollar opportunity? You know, like, you know, just like all your stuff, like lacrosse and everything. You you are, you're an inspiration just how you, you process stress very well. You're very... 
you know, and probably from all your life situations, you've been through such tough things that it helps you be like, this is not a big deal. Is only my guess. Mixed with your personality, you're able to push through and just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to find a way to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, or not, you know, like it's, it's not as big a deal. And <clears throat> so in your art, you often have like Bible verses. When did you start doing that? And do you do, do you do the same one throughout your paintings or do you switch it up? Like, how do you choose which Bible verse to put in a painting? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I will, um, so yeah, I started putting the Bible verses in back with the Jim Tomey painting, which is in my collage. And that one, I, I had, um, it was a life verse to me. I put in Psalms 1, 1 to 3, which is, um, as you med meditate upon the ways of the Lord, whatsoever you put your hand to shall prosper. Those that meditate upon the ways of the Lord, you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bearing its fruit in due season. And whatsoever you do, whatsoever you put your hand to shall prosper. So it's like a, an artist. That was a life scripture. So when I don't know what, a lot of times I'll put that one in. And, you know, it's kind of like hopefully it inspires someone else or it inspires me when someone asks about it. You know, like when I really see it and have, you know, like even just telling the story, it's like, yeah, that's that was a promise that I hoped would always come true for me. Like, because I didn't major in art and I hoped one day... I would be able to like work at art and you know keep my talents even though I spent like all these years doing other majors and stuff and so I was able to actually do it and um, so that scripture is really cool it just kind of proved true that promise to me like whatever you put your hand to shall prosper and I'm still trying to prove that out today you know, I still have dreams and goals that I haven't hit yet I'm trying to hit so I'll do that or I'll ask the athlete like the uh, Archie Griffin one he, I got to meet him, um, or maybe I reached out to his secretary and asked, which, what's his favorite scripture? Just, and I was just kind of hoping he was a Christian, because he seems so nice, he seemed like a Christian. And she's like, oh yeah, this is his favorite scripture, Psalm 37, 4. Um, God shall grant you the desires of your heart, because he, he always said, if I could just play for Ohio State. He just wanted to just make the team. That right. was always his goal, and he made the team, and so that was always his um, favorite scripture. And sometimes I'll pick them, like, for the, the cityscapes, I picked, because it was a city series of Cleveland, so we, we, I looked in the Bible for verses that said the word city, and there was only one. And I mean, I searched a lot, I can only find one verse in the whole Bible that uses the word city. And um, so that was, I forget which one that scripture that is. Um, I have it, Psalms. 107, 7 and 8, and it's... Um, he would bring us to a city where we could dwell. That's what that one says. So God would bring us to a city where we could dwell. So I use that one in the, there's like 17 or 18 of those. Psalm 37, I tend to just put in, or Psalm 23 in the Coastal Series. Psalm 23, 2 or 3, I think, is, um, He leads me beside still waters and renews my soul. Do you ever get people, say you get someone who's not Christian, or not very religious, do you ever get someone, because these are kind of hidden, do you ever get someone buying your artwork, looking at it, finding it, and be like, oh, like, what? what is this? Yeah. And, like, do some ever get triggered? Yes, sometimes. I had, I had one, they were Indian, you know, and, and she was buying it for her son, and then she asked me about the scripture, and I said, yeah, that's a Christian scripture, and she's like, 
I, I can't buy this because I am, is it Hindu? Hindu, Hindu. yeah. And she's like, my husband will be very upset. I'm like, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. It's just, and I just kind of made peace with, and when I first did it, I thought I might lose 30, 40% of my customers. I don't think it's been anywhere near that. Maybe it's 5% or so. Um, so I think, you know, our fears sometimes make us more fearful than we think, you know. And even doing the Donald Trump thing, I still like, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, that's going to ruin your art career. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it will. I mean, I don't know. But yeah. it's, at some point, you know, if you don't have any, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be in the one um, area profession that you kind of hold to some kind of principles. I thought artists were supposed to be like, hey, you, you know, your passion and stuff comes out. You're, you're doing your passion and stuff. So should be able to express I mean, that's you got all these dudes doing all these crazy things and say that's my expression you know like the maple thorpe thing you always think of where you put the crucifix in the bottle of urine which you probably heard of that one right no that's in the cincinnati museum this guy took a big crucifix with jesus on it and put it in a big jar of urine and for, call, for and called it art call it art yeah and that was his big thing it's like I'm going to just say this is art to me and this is art and a big federal grant paid for it. I think it was a big grant and it was in the Cincinnati Museum of Art and people were super outraged and triggered by that. You know, is is you're just doing that to get us mad and, uh, mm-hmm. and be offensive and you know, so, but he got away with it and everyone, I mean, I don't got away with it. That's what he did and probably if everyone, so if he would have had to, you know, if everyone just ignored it and maybe he just had to sell it in an art gallery, I don't know if he ever could have sold it, you know, but I think his whole art that he was trying to do was just making conservative people mad. I think that's the product he was selling, you know. I'm just thinking out loud. But, but um, I don't know. I'm not sure what got me. What, what was your question that got me to that? Um, Just, like, have you ever had to... People, oh, people have they ever... Yeah, yeah. yeah, sometimes they do, but... but Here's the other thing, it's just, it, it has opened tons of, probably half of what happens in this gallery is like some form of counseling or ministry, Christian type of ministry, it winds up being, and those scriptures are usually the, the window into that. Like, it just, it wasn't the intention, I thought it might happen 25%, but I, it just depends on the, the month, but the, I'll get in these deeper conversations with people, and it helps me too, you know, like they'll ask me stuff and it's a nice conversation with people like we're having now. Like people will talk about this. It encourages me talking about it because I'll remember the good stuff like that I need to be thinking about. And it really is, um, I mean, it's part of my, you know, the God plan, I think, in all of it. Like, it really works out. I didn't think I didn't think it all through this way. It just happens that way. Because people can walk past it and not say anything about it. So it's not me jamming it down people's throat. I guess if I have it in there, maybe they could say that. And I have had some people come in the door and they'll see the Donald Trump thing and they'll get mad and just turn around and walk out. It's not a ton, though. It's not a ton. Um, And typically, grouchy people aren't going to buy art anyway, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like, people that are super triggered and trying to go out to get triggered, they're probably not going to spend $1,000 on artwork. Yeah. And that's those are the sales that make make me, you know what I mean, make make the gallery. The, The prints, the small prints, keep the lights on, but those big... People will come in and buy like one to three of these canvas prints. Those aren't typically people that walk around afraid or looking to try to be offended. You know. Yeah. In my 
experience, you know. So um, let's talk about how did you get into teaching? Because before you were marketing, right? Yeah, I did marketing, and um, I was a marketing major, and I had my own landscape company, and um, I was in sales. So marketing got me into sales. I did some sales for a place called Amster. We sold like uh, uh, computer networking systems for like I did that for almost two years, I think. I was living at uh, at home uh, with, in Strongsville with my parents at the time, just back from college and working um, there and selling you know, widgets. I call it is just you know a marketing term we had for just selling whatever it is they're selling, you know. And um, and it was cool. I was doing inside sales, and um, it just wasn't. I don't know. It, it was it was what they said a job supposed to feel like. It's like you go in, you work nine to five, and but and then I was still. I, didn't, I think I worked 9 to 4 because I'd go in a little earlier, work through lunch, and then I could leave and go coach. So they're like, that's fine. I was doing inside sales, so I'd leave and coach at Ed's because I was already coaching at Ed's. And um, and the coaching really ruined me from any other job than teaching because is what I said. Because, like, the coaching, um, I looked, I remember standing right by the water fountain in um, St. Ed's wrestling room, and this kid looked up and I showed him some move and it worked because I'm like, dude, if you just do this, like, please, you know, stop doing this other, this is terrible, like, just do this and he did it and I'm like, good, you know, I think it took us like six tries to try to get him to do it. He did it in a match, I think I showed him the day before, then the next day he's doing it and um, it was cool. So he looked up at me with this look and he's like, thank you so much that like, thank you coach. And he looked at me, and I rec- recognized that look is the way I used to look at my head coach. Like, like you just changed my life. That's what that look was. Like, you... And it's like you, the, the light bulb, you know, on the cartoons when they, yeah, like, snaps. Yeah, and it just, it just, it was like speaking to my soul. You know, like, I'm like, I, I can't, I just changed that kid's life. And I knew I did. Like, I knew, like, he's going to win a ton of matches from that. And that changed your, a good coach teaching you a technique. You know how that is, right? They teach you something, and you're like, I'm going to dominate now. Whenever I'm in this situation, no one's going to stop me in this situation. You know, it's not everyone, but I changed that kid's life where he's not going to, you know, whatever it was. And I'm like, that is the highest high, like, where I'm like, I love, so I was, this got me to teaching or coaching. And also, when I went back to my job, I was just kind of like, just doing this to make this dude in Chicago a bunch of money. And in the end, they're like, you know what? Um, the manager, he was a good dude. He's like, you don't really want to be here, though. This is Ignatius, dude, a good dude. You know, a buddy of mine, he was my same age. I knew him. And he's like, Sean, he pulled me in his office. like, you, you don't really want to be here. I'm like, yeah, dude. Because I thought I was supposed to say, yeah, dude. I thought I was supposed to have to have a big boy job like this. And he's like, you don't want to be here. He's like, every lunch period, you're just... Every lunchtime, you're just calling galleries, trying to get into galleries. After work, we're offering to buy you dinner to go meet with these sales reps. And you're like, nah, I'll buy my own dinner. I would, I'd be like, I'd rather eat ramen noodle. I'm going to go coach, and I'll just make my own dinner. And I was always doing that. He's like, you don't really want to be here. I'm like, no, you're right. And I just quit the job. That day? Any other job. Yeah. He said, take two months to think about it. And I got out and I was going to touch my, I was going to open the car door and I let go of it. And I went, went back in to his office. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Just. He's like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. 
and I was making $500 a year annually coaching. You know what I mean? Like, I quit. At the time, it was $36,000 I was making, you know, which is a crap art back then. I mean, 20 years ago, that was right out of college. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, now that would be, but that was great. And I just quit this job. I said, you know, I'd rather bust tables. I'd rather bust tables than, than sell another one of these widgets and be able to just have my life back. And I immediately lost like 20 pounds without even trying. Who you did? Yeah. Oh, from the stress? Yeah, just or... like I wasn't depressed. I think I was depressed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Then like I just tried, you know, being an artist for a while full time. That was depressing. Like, because everyone's like, hey, well, if you really hit a big in art, are you just going to quit co- teaching? I'm like, probably not because I did that before. And I'm just not meant to be alone in a in a gallery, in a studio. It just God didn't make me that way. Like, I just, I'll get depressed, you know what I mean? So I, I need to be talking to people, as you can see, I'm like talking like crazy. Like, it's, I like to be talking to people and working with them. Like, uh, especially young people, that's, you know, that was always the most impactful time for my life. And I remember, you know, adults pouring into me and it just like really, you know, changed me. So I think I, I have this passion to keep doing what, people did for me, you know, those were transitional times, high school, junior high, um, college, those were all very big years developmentally for me, um, in every way, you know, like just even spiritually, that's when I got back to church in um, college, I left church in college and came back to church in college, so really, you know, just through a lot of, you know, my own transition on my own and other people, so the natural thing, I just bounced around jobs and, um, I worked at Catan's for a while in Strongsville to learn about art um, and worked in the frame shop for like two years there. Was this after you quit? After I quit Annister, yes. Okay. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to pursue this life passion for art. Mm-hmm. I keep trying to be someone I'm not and I'm failing at it. So let me just try to pursue art. At the time, um, there just weren't a lot of art galleries and stuff. So I'll just go to this place in Strongsville. I'll just offer the frame. And dude, that was crazy. The, the most you know, like humbling pay you could ever get. And um, but I, I learned the art industry. I learned buyer, you know, cons- consumer behavior, what people were buying, um, frame size, you know, standard frame size prints is what I sell. So these prints that go right to standard frames. I learned that from just people coming up with a twenty dollar print that could go into a standard frame, a twenty dollar frame. Boom! I have a gift for forty bucks, as opposed to bringing an awkwardly printed, you'd have to have a custom frame. Custom frame is like 200 bucks. Right. As opposed to $20. They're going to, you're going to sell 30 of those prints that fit a standard frame compared to one that doesn't. Easily, probably 50 to one. Yeah. So that was very instrumental, that job. And then from there, I got hired to teach because I just eventually just gave up the ghost. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try to teach. Um, my dad always told me I was, should be a teacher, but he was, he was a teacher, um, high school teacher at Cleveland Central Catholic. You okay. know that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if so he was teacher coach at Cleveland Central Catholic. He told me to be a teacher coach when I was 15 and I was like fighting and fighting and fighting it. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll throw on this one resume. I remember laying on my bed. I was just so miserable. It's like, it's February, which is not the hiring time for teachers at all. And I went in like the next Two days later with a resume that was probably haphazardly made. <laughs> gave it to Don Murphy, you know. At was that the St. old principal? No, the business director. At okay. He just retired a couple of years ago. But he was a wrestling coach. And he really liked me and, and the, um, 
Urbis liked me. And so, you know, I know he knew who I was. I'd been coaching for a while. And um, so I'm like, here, uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm applying to be an art teacher. And that's a, that's a sought-out job, right? Yes. Art, like Very sought. I mean, to me, it's the best job in the world. And so I think everyone in the world wants that job. But I just like, this is all I'm qualified to do. And I wasn't even really qualified. Like, I, how you can even look at my resume now when I look back, I had zero education credits at all. None. I was not at all qualified to teach anything. And then I had like, I don't know, three art classes on my, on my whole thing. If they'd have looked at my transcript... Mm-hmm. But I just, but I had run an art gallery. I was, I was not an art gallery, but I had done, done a lot of art stuff and a lot of commissions. So I'm like, I think, and I'm a good coach. So they're hiring me basically based on me coaching and having a degree. And, and the girl quit a month later to go like make her boyfriend marry her. She's so sick of this guy in California not proposing to her. She quit to move out to California. Like, and they couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Like Don Murphy, when I handed him my resume, he just took it and just kind of, he didn't even look over. He just said, okay, I'll file it over here. Just dropped it. So do you think he already had his mind made up that he was going to hire you? or No. He had his mind made up that this girl's never going to quit and it's never an option. I'm like, he's like, what do you want me to do with it? I'm not going to fire this girl. I'm like, I'll just keep it on file in case something opens up. I'm like, he's like, he just looked at me blankly. He took it and just calmly just, he's like, okay. And just dropped it on this pile of stuff. And I'm like, I remember being kind of like, well, that's disrespectful. You know, like, kind of, I'm like, okay. Or maybe that's just the way he talks, which that is the way he talks. It's just a trip. But he had no <clears throat> expectation that this job was going to open up. Mm-hmm. And then the girl quits. They immediately had like 50 applications as soon as it was listed. And they're like, you got to get down here right now. You need to get down here right now and apply for this. So I just cruised down there and Herb has gotten the job. Or they said, the principal said he was in every hour. Just about every hour he would come in and say, you must hire this guy. You must hire this guy. And um, took her, he took me around, Urbis and, uh, Coach Urbis, and introduced me to Mrs. King. Mrs. Mm-hmm. King really liked me. So then she went down and, and said, yeah, I, I'd like to work with this guy. How long has Mrs. King been at St. Ed's? I think she'd only been there two or three years longer than me. Maybe three. Okay. Two or three, yeah. So, and she taught in Lakewood before that. So, I think she has about eight or ten more years of teaching than I do. So, um, yeah, it's just meant to be, you know. Like, as soon as I remember when I was teaching three days into it, I just walked into the hallway and uh, I almost started crying. Like, the hallway between Ms. and Mrs. King's room. Yeah. Like, I had to go in there because I was going to start crying because I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Like, I'm, I said, like, I am so good at this. Like, I can't believe how good I am at teaching. Like, just messing with kids and seeing, anticipating what they're going to do. I mean, I'd have a kid, like, with a thing, and he'd, he'd, ha- he'd, he'd go like this. I'm like, put it down. Like, I'd see him out of the corner of my eye. And I'd, like, <laughs> put it down. It's like, <laughs> I'd anticipate, because we would do all that, that stuff, the same jerk-around stuff, you know. It was so funny. And I'd laugh, like, a third of the day, I would just laugh. Because it's really funny. The one kid cooked a full chicken in my <laughs> how do you, no, how do you cook a chicken? Because we had this toaster over the previous uh, teacher would have them do sculpey clay and cook the clay, like cook these beads and stuff. And uh, so I just left it there because I'm like, I'm trying to do her, their curriculum because I'm like, again, I never talk. I feel like you still have that. It's like ancient, well, no, but it's in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I put by it up, the sink. Yeah, I, I hit it. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's up in the corner. Yeah. yeah. 
because they would like, because this kid, like, I went by, I was walking by, and they would just dump all the football players in my class because they're like, no one else wants these guys. And they were nuts. The one year, Ryan Raypads, he was nuts. And they put him, and he was sitting with three other linebackers at this class. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these guys, you know. And um, they, they're always jacking around. And it was early, it was like the second period, and I'm walking by, and I see this, like, you know, the rotisserie chickens, they come in that, that the little, you could buy them for like eight bucks, and it had that balloony kind of plastic thing, they put them in, you know? Yeah, like you get at uh, Costco, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I was walking by, and I saw this empty container on the floor, like right in front of my feet, like they didn't even throw it out in the garbage can. Like the garbage can was right next to it. All you do is put it in the garbage can, I never would have seen it. But they didn't even want to put it in the garbage can. What, what do you call the garbage can? It's oh, yeah, the suggestion box. Suggestion box, yeah. 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 Now yeah. it's a suggestion box for all the ideas for me to be a better teacher. I'm like, write it down. <laughs> I put it in the suggestion box. <laughs> so he, he takes it out of this bubble and he puts it in. In the, in the, in the cooker, you know, in the um, toaster oven. So in the toaster oven, which I wouldn't even notice, but I stopped to look at this, the empty container on the ground, and I'm like, and in the course of me stopping, walking, and looking down and wondering, how did that get there? I know I would not have, I'd have no reason to have this in here. And um, I hear this tick, 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 from the toaster ovens, the timer's gone. I'm yeah. Like, what the heck? So I look over and I see the light on and then I see a chicken in it. <laughs> and I immediately look over at this table of linebackers and they're all looking at me and they all look down. All four of them. I'm like, I know it's one of these dudes. I knew none of them was going to admit it. And again, that's like just stuff my dad trained me. You know, like he just raised me like, because he taught and it was a football coach and stuff. And he just raised me like, so I just taught them the way my dad raised me. So I know not to ask them because they're going to lie right to my face if I ask them. So I just go and I grab the chicken out and take it to my desk. And this is like, it's probably nine through in the morning. Like I was already stuffed from breakfast, but I forced myself to eat the whole chicken. I almost threw up. And I know one of them's going to jump up and scream and yell, you know, about, that's my chicken. And it was Ryan Ray Pass. He jumped up and said, that's my breakfast. Or no, he's like, that's my lunch. I'm like, well, it's my breakfast now. Oh, and he was all salty and almost threw up eating that thing. Tell me the story, the, the notorious story when I went to St. Ed's. This happened before I was even in high school. The story of the kid who made the huge clay penis. <laughs> How did, how did that pan James out? Subak, whose name will live in the annals or annals or whatever it is. Well, that was Mrs. King, thank God. I mean, everyone likes, likes to say everything happens in my class. So Mrs. King had a project that said, if you have to do something that is from a museum, something that's reproduce something that's in a museum. And the dude's mom, he said, and she tells she verified. She's like, his mom gave him the idea. How crazy! Like, <laughs> so this is how this kid's crazy. Your mom's crazy and your dad's crazy. But so she said, "Hey, yeah, back in the day, they used to worship phallic symbols, and I'm pretty sure you could find something." Because he was trying to think of what to do, you know. And she probably knew her son was immature, and that that's what he keeps attention. So he found a giant winged penis. It they had they had wings. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, it was a winged. It was a penis with wings, like an angel penis. Like if a penis was an angel. <laughs> that's that's what it the best way I could describe it. I'm not like, that is what it looked like. It had the most majestic, beautiful wings, <laughs> like, a, like a pegasus. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a, if the horse was a penis. So he's building it and purposely, because he's a, he's a wrestler, of course. Right? Yeah. 
And so purposely dragging this out, so it goes on, it takes six to nine months. And, you know, it's staying there, and Coach Urbis would get really triggered because oh, the, yeah. at the time, oh, yeah. he would bring potential students through the classrooms, and he'd come through my classroom and talk about my art and go through Mrs. King's, or, or like alumni would come back, you know, and they would see this. And of course, they'd start laughing. Alumni, yeah. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Coach Urbis was very, like, upset. Like, he'd always come and complain to me, like, why is she letting him do that? Because it's a wrestler, too. It's his wrestler. She's like, why is it? I'm like, it's, it's, it's her project. And I'd explain to him, I must explain it to him six to 12 times. Like, this is actually a reproduction of something in a museum. And that's how he's getting away with it. So she had to put that in the kiln and everything? Yeah. Well, and I suggested at one point, I, I was just in the mood. I'm like, dude, you should make it a fountain and just run a hose <laughs> up through it and make it a pina colada yeah. mix. Pina and so he did that. He made like a fountain function. And so he finished, of course, right before school ended. So he got to have it on display in the classroom the whole time. I mean, it was, you know, it's like, tell me, it was like from here to like, like here. That's a lot of clay. Yeah, yeah, a lot of clay. The wings came out like this. Oh, yeah. And then his dad. No, wait, so it couldn't because it had to fit in his trunk. So it was maybe like this and like this. It's probably like that size. Uh-huh. So like he, his dad worked at Ford at nights. And, um, and then um, they only had two cars. So, like, it, James would take the car. His dad would come home from work, and James would take the car to school and come back, and then after practice, his dad would take the car to work at night. So, at four, they had this thing where you'd have you'd have to go through the gate, and they have to inspect, search the whole car, make sure you weren't stealing stuff through it. So, one time, you know, at the end of the year, he's bringing it home, and he just puts it in the trunk of the car and just doesn't Yeah, forgets about it. it. Yeah, yeah, just take it. So, the night guy, you know, he huge black dude, you know, like is checking, you know, he's seen him come through, pops the trunk, and the dad sees it, the dude sees it, whoa! And, and the dad's like, I don't know how that got there. He's like, dude, whatever, that's fine, just, you don't have to tell me about it, just, so this <laughs> yeah. black dude's like, that's weird, but do whatever you're into. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and he had it in his dorm, and, um, because he went to Virginia, University of Virginia. To wrestle? Yeah, he wrestled there. And he had it in his dorm, you know, all the years. That was like the prized possession. Well, he's gone down as a saint as legend because, I mean, people talk about that story still to today. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is, uh, it's just such a funny story. I know everyone, like a bunch of people come back and ask me about that. My, uh, in high school, my cousin went to Bhutan. It's right by Nepal. It's in between India and China. It's like a, a real small mountainous country. And up there, yeah, like you said, they worship. Phallic symbols. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he said, like, every little shop, they have, like, little sculptures. Yeah. It's just, because these guys, they draw them everywhere, too, you know, in my classroom. And in yeah, that society, that'd be very normal. You know? Well, in your class, I thought they draw Civil War cannons. They do, yes. They yeah. Dr. Seuss hats. Uh, spaceships. Spaceships, yeah, rocket ships. Yeah. What's the other one they did? Um yeah, you said Civil War cannons, dog bones. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Only half of a dog bone, though. Yeah, well, some of the co- yeah, the nose cones would be cracked, and there'd be like uh, jet fuel shooting out <laughs> the top of the nose cone on the on the rocket ships. So earlier in our conversation, you talked about in college, you kind of left your faith, and then you came back to it. Can you explain that? Yeah, the um, so it's like an element of pride, I think hit me because like in, in high school I was like 
you know, team captain of the wrestling team. I was running this landscape business, cutting all these lawns. I did really good grades in high school uh, towards the, you know, like the last two years, three years. And um, I had a nice girlfriend. Had, you know, it just kind of felt like I was very accomplished or whatever. Like on top of the world. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to major in engineering and then also drive back on the weekends and cut like like 60 lawns on the weekend, drive back. I, and I knew going in, this is going to be a lot. Like this is going to, everyone's like advising me like, I don't know how you can't pull this off. And um, so I just said, you know what, God, I, I just don't think I'm going to have time to go to church. Like I remember praying this in the shower to myself at the rec center. I remember right where I was saying this prayer and saying, God, I'm sorry. I just, I just probably, I don't know what something's got to give. And I think I'm just going to not have time to go to church. I remember right in the, the old Storms of Rec Center thinking that. And um, I'm like, I just hope this doesn't go sideways with this, you know. So when I went down to school, um, things went sideways real quick. It's just really weird. Like, I just knew, and I kind of knew. Like, I didn't know it was going to happen like this, but just everything went badly. I decided I was going to, I didn't know I was going to walk on the team. Just engineering school and running the business was going to be hard enough. But then once I got there, I really missed wrestling. Like, I'm going to try to walk on the wrestling team. Even that was, like, brutal. Like, they had all these state champs just in my weight class. And I, I, I wasn't going to be able to change. I could go up a little bit. Or Everywhere I went was full of state champs. Freaks, you know. And the coach was like, you could try, you know. But And I caught my girlfriend. <clears throat> that was the last draw. So I'm getting my brains beat in engineering school. Getting nowhere on the wrestling team. Um, I, so my grades are terrible. I, I had never gotten an F before on a test. You know, it's like your first F, everyone kind of goes to that in college, but to get an F, I'm like, it's just shocking to my ego. Then um, I'm stressing out. So of course me and my girlfriend are fighting, high school girlfriend, but she's at Kent State. <clears throat> you know, I'm gripping like crazy on the phone, we're fighting like crazy. Um, so, you know, I just got a surprise her. I go out to visit her. She's up uh, and then she's with some other dude uh, at a dance, you know, like, to see her formal dance with some dude looks just like me too. It's like freaky. Yeah. This big dramatic breakup. You know, it's like a, like a 80s movie, you know? It's crazy. And I go back and just, I had never drank in high school at all. N hadn't drank to that point ever. And like the next, two weeks later was my birthday. And my and I remember the guys were like, we're taking you out for your birthday. Come on, you're going to forget about this girl or whatever. And I remember being in the shower, just crying, like just coming out all upset. And Brendan... The one dude, he's like, this ain't happening. You're going to drink some of this, and you won't think about it the rest of the night. So, yeah, they'd always drink vodka. So, I was just, my first drops of alcohol were just straight vodka. Oh, I, I was just taking just shots of vodka. And um, I was like, it was like a loudmouth suit for me, I call it. You know what I mean? I was just like, missed, didn't think about her all night, just forgot about her, was able to just have fun, talk to a bunch of girls, whatever. But, um, you know, it wasn't the right, it got me through the night, but the next morning it was, you know, very lonely again, very upset, but I had this, where I was drinking like crazy, drinking like crazy, so I had this um, cycle of every weekend, I would drink a bunch of just straight liquor, all summer, you know, spring, summer, a lot of very destructive just habits and behaviors, you know, with, you know dating girls too much, and come back in the fall, and um, it was just like, very dramatic, like, um, 
I'm, I'm bombing out of school. You know, I'm not doing well with engineering, you know, because my discipline's all gone. I'm, my discipline with the wrestling team's not going well. I mean, I'm, I'm going okay, but I'm not doing what I need to. You know, I mean, I'm not on top of it. This guy, though, reached out. Um, I met this Christian group on campus. So they, they were just handing out little um, cassettes. Was it Catholic, non-denominational? Non-denominational. It was called Maranatha Ministries. I mean, they folded shortly after, like a year later. They weren't even, they were big, maybe two years later. They weren't even um, a ministry anymore. It was a trip. But they just, for that little while, they would do all this outreach stuff. They gave me a little cassette at the time. If I'd sign over and give them my, you know, I'd just fill out a little questionnaire, my dorm, you know, or my name or whatever. And, and they reached out to me in the fall. No, they reached out to me two weeks after all this happened with my girlfriend and I knew like I, I, I needed something you know like I was just drinking too much acting like crazy so they invite me like hey would you, you want to do a Bible study this one dude Rob he, he just calls me at home he's like I'll come right to your dorm we'll do a Bible study with you right there like just one on one it was amazing like and the Bible study was just like he'd come and just listen to my problems for half an hour like and I was such a disaster I, and you know in college you don't really have friends trying to help you out no one's got a half an hour to give you but I needed someone to listen like I was bumming so just the fact that he would listen to me for half an hour and not ask anything of me and then he'd share a little scripture at the end some encouraging thing he did that every week all spring then in the fall he did it then and, I, and I'm on academic probation like I'm thinking I am a quarter away from failing out of this place he's like hey I this Rob, he invites me to hear this guest speaker. He's like, you got this guy coming. I think you'd like him. He's just, you know, he's encouraging. I'm like, all right. So I go, and that night, this guy, um, he just shares his whole life, all this stuff about him. His life. Who, like, Rob? No, this guest speaker, Nikki, Nick from Michigan State. I can't remember his last name. Okay. This Nick dude, I've never met him before. Comes from Michigan State. He is, like, preaching all this life. This guy's intense, man. He's telling his life about being on his deathbed, um, wiping out his motorcycle, all tore up, you know, zillions of broken bones and very extreme, you know. And like, I asked, and he's like, God healed me, and, and uh, I know I'm going to heaven, you know. I know I'm going to heaven. I was on my way to hell, and I'm going to heaven now. And um, he just kept talking about that, talking about that. And um, like, oh, that's cool. But at the time, I had said, I'm never going back to church until I know God's real. Until I know God for sure. Like, basically, does a miracle for me. And to me, that seemed like a very safe, like, bet that I'm never going back to church because God's never going to just drop down and do a miracle in front of me. Like, he's just not going to do it. That doesn't happen. So I'm like, I think I'm good. I'm never going to church again. So at least I never have to do that. Because I, I had hardened myself so much to to like where I used to be like very praying a lot of stuff, you know, so just in like this, just a year and a few months later, just a year and a few months later, I basically come to a point where I didn't even know if God existed, you know, where I knew God would always answer my prayers. He'd done so much. I, you know, give like Christian little testimony talks at retreats and stuff to like a year, 14 months later, I don't even know if God exists. Really like dramatic when I think of it like I can't how did I get here you know so I'm making these ultimatums to God like oh I'm not going to church unless you show me right in front of me you exist well this Nick dude and there's only like I don't know 25 people in the room 
I'm on the back row with a real chip on my shoulder. And he's like, gives this whole talk. I'm like, he's like, does anyone want to um, say a prayer with me? And I'm like, I'm good. That was a nice story, but no one did a miracle in front of me. So I'm good, mm-hmm. thanks. Then he calls us all up. And we're all in a circle together. He's like, we're just going to close, do some prayer here at the end. Um, so he says a prayer. And um, he comes around and he says a prayer over like five or six of us. And, and, you know, now looking back, it was probably all the new, the guests. He said a specific prayer. He said it to me over a prayer, and I didn't listen to anyone. But then when we went back and sat down, they asked the one, hey, did he kind of tell you what was on your mind? Did he tell you what you were thinking? I'm like, that's really a weird question to ask someone. You know, like, how would he know what's on your mind? Like, so then I tried to think, well, what did he say over me? And even though I wasn't listening, it's like... Um, the words came back to my mind, like all the words this guy said. And and as they came back, I realized he had like bullet pointed my life. He had said like, okay, this, this, this about your life. And um, I'm like, how? I was freaked out. Like he, he summarized my life. He summarized. Um, and then he also said, this is stuff you want to do in the future. This is stuff you're going to do, which he described me being a teacher. And I'm in engineering school. Like, He's like, you're, you, you have a heart to, um, to help young people. You have a heart to help people. You really want to help people. And I'm like, man, stuff I had never told anyone. He described, and I'm like, only God. If there's even a God, only God would know what that guy just told me. That dude I never met in my life. And that guy told me stuff I've never told anyone. And he said it. And there has to be a God. Because he just told me stuff that only God would know. And if there's a God, that God knows, has seen, if he knows even what I'm thinking inside, he's just seen all the bad stuff I've done the last nine to 12 months. And I'm for sure going to hell. I am going to hell for sure. Because I know as a raised Catholic, that was terrible what I've done. You know? I know it. So like, I felt so guilty. I went from this realization God exists to like, I'm going to hell. And I felt this guilt inside me, like just sitting there. And um, I remember just putting my head down saying, this just prayer to myself on the back row. I said, God, you can have my life if you want it. I've screwed it up so bad. I've messed up all the talents you gave me. And uh, if you want my life, you can have it. But I wouldn't take it if I were you. Like, it's all wasted. Like, I'm failing at everything. You know, I'm a disaster, I'm a discipline, I'm drinking like crazy, I have all these terrible habits. I would not take this life out. And like that moment when I felt this worthless is when I felt that acceptance that I had learned about as a Catholic growing up, like that all your sins will be washed away. Like all your sins will be forgotten. Like I'd always thought, like, what is that? What is that? And I'm like, this is what that is. I can't, cons- I can't graph it out or draw a picture of it, but I know this is what I feel. I feel it all gone. And I knew, like, I'm going to go, this is what they're talking about. And I know I'm going to heaven. I cannot explain. There's no, it's totally illogical how that could just be like that. Like, I just say a prayer, and I know I'm going to heaven. But I know, like, that's what this dude, Nick, was talking about. Like, he knows he's going to, I know it. Like, that's what it is just freaked out. Then they prayed for me 
so that was the first miracle. Like, this dude reads my mind, tells me stuff I'm going to do in the future, which has still come true. And then they bring me up to pray for healing. They're like, hey, a lot of people have this common problem with one leg shorter than the other or something like that. I didn't know. And they're like, let me see. And they sit me down in a chair like this, put my legs out, you know, and put one up next to the other. And like, they're like, hey, uh, this, um, look at, yeah, and everyone's kind of down here looking at my feet because there's only 25 this way. And they're like, yeah, see, this one leg's like four inches longer than the other. That seems like a lot. Four inches can't be right. Maybe it's like two inches or something. And your inch legs and were? Yeah. Short. Yeah. One was inch and a half, I think. Something like inch and three quarters. He's like, and he's pushing me back in the back like this. So it's like, he's not pulling. I could feel it pushing back. And um, he's like, so I'm just going to pray for him to be healed and God's going to heal. I'm like, and he had done this to a couple other people before. And everyone's like, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I remember even looking at one and I kind of saw the one leg, foot kind of length. I'm like, I think he's pulling it out or something. Or maybe he's pulling it out or something, whatever, right? Because I'm like, this is weird. But whatever, these people have been so nice. And then he just said this prayer for me. And I'm like, I'm going to be respectful. So whatever, they're praying for me. And everyone just starts yelling, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Look at it, look at it. And, and I can't tell from where I'm sitting. Like, it doesn't, I don't see anything different. But I felt my, this tingling in my hip, this left hip, I felt the tingling when they're all screaming this, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if anything, you guys should be looking at my hip because that's where the two is. Right. So, but, and then I just, okay, whatever. They're all nice and very respectful. I just went back to my seat and didn't think about it again. I just kind of forgot. I was thinking about all this other stuff. But then when I was walking home, I mean, right in front of Drake, between Drake Tower and Morrill Tower, the big twin towers. You know? Okay. That's where it was at. The Drake Union, so there's Moral Tower, Lincoln Tower, where I lived at Ohio State, the two big towers, and I'm walking on the <clears throat> the concrete pad because I didn't notice it just walking in my chair. But once I had taken a bunch of steps, I'm like, dude, Rob, my uh, something's different with my legs. Like I'm walking different, feels really good. You know, like I don't. And then I stopped, and the light bulb went off again. I'm like, that dude prayed for my legs, and I'm walking different. And Rob's kind of like, he's from Hawaii, this dude. And he, he, he likes to be kind of low, like chill, you know what I mean? <clears throat> but, and he knew I was healed, but he didn't want to make a big deal about it. Yeah. And he didn't want me, like, freaking out about it. He, was, he always thought they were too hyped. Everyone gets too hyped. He didn't want that to be too hyped. But I was like, dude, that dude, that, that worked with that dude praying. Like, I really got healed. Like, that was a miracle. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I remember him saying, Okay, just relax, relax, you know, because I must have been really, I was freaked out, like, and I went um, back to my apartment, and I remember I had four roommates, and they had been seeing me live like, like a friggin' nut job, you know what I mean, drinking, like, going, like, nuts, from, like, not drinking at all, very disciplined, trying to make this wrestling team, to drinking like crazy and acting, you know, kind of borderline depressed or whatever, and I just walked past all these dudes, like, and we'd always eat together, and I'd make them, we'd always, like, hang out, and I'd make them spaghetti and stuff and hang out. And I was very social. You know, I was really good friends with all these dudes. But I, I'm like, no one's going to mess with me on this topic. And I just walked in and walked, and they all say, hey, Sean, hey, Sean. I didn't even, they told me this later, like, I didn't respond to any of them. I just walked right past them and walked right into my room. And I must, I looked like I, you know, seen a ghost or something. You know, they, they, they came in, they all came in my room, and they're like, dude, what's going on? And I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I was looking down, and I wouldn't look him in the face. I just kind of told him, I'm like, okay, guys, I don't care what any of you guys say about this. 
I'm just telling you, this is what happened. I went and heard this dude. This dude told me everything going on in my life. I told him the whole story. I said, and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go figure out whatever these people know, because I don't know who they are, but I need whatever they got. You know. And one by one, all of them left the room while I was talking, except for John, my one, <clears throat> the craziest of them all that I always get in trouble with. John's there, and I'm like, and I, and he's like. Well, Sean, is this dude still in town? And I look up and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. He's like, I want to go see this guy because I have a Bible I hide under my pillow every night. I read it every night. My mom gave it to me. I read it every night and I don't tell anyone about it. Like, he was this closet, just like, seeking dude, like, didn't want to tell him, you know. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to be, actually, he's going to be here tomorrow night and then he's leaving town. But I'm like thinking, if you go, you're for sure going to become a Christian. There's no way you will survive this dude. Like, if you go in that room, you're not coming out the same. I just, like, so he went, and yeah, he became a Christian the next night. Right? This was, like, my best kind of getting in trouble friend. Uh-huh. Became, like, then we were, like, both great friends. Then it's just amazing, like, another crazy miracle. Like, God gave me another good friend who's a roommate to be a Christian to help each other through this, you know, because... You know, like colleges, it's like it's tough when you're alone trying to figure it out. And this guy, so John, yeah, so we were, went all through, we do a little like once a week, we we started like praying once a week in the mornings before class just to try to get through, you know, on Tuesday mornings. We pray at 7 to 7.30, say a prayer together. And that's where prayer for stuff came from, you know, a little bit. Do you still talk to him? He went off the grid, so he was a trip. So like after my wedding... He, um, he was, he wasn't in the wedding, but he was at the wedding and he's like, okay, Sean, I think he told me in the parking lot. He's like, okay, uh, me and we, we sold the house. We're moving down to North Carolina because he married a Greek girl and her family would always come in town and stay in his house because they moved to Florida. And he's like, he's the cheapest person I ever met. So he was so mad that they would eat all his food and live in his house. that he's like, I sold everything. I'm moving down to North Carolina I'm changing everything so that no one can ever find me again and eat all my food. And it's free tuition, in-state college tuition for my kids once they get of college age. Okay. So he just moved down to North Carolina, and I just saw, I'm like, he's for sure. His kids are going to go empty nester. Finally, he'll raise them, and then he'll reach out on Facebook. And he did. Like oh, two or three cool. years ago, he just appeared back on the grid. I'm sure his wife was yelling at him, like, which is weird. You need to reach out to your friends. That's funny. So now I see him like, you know, and I knew, like, I knew it wasn't personal. One of of my favorite videos that you sent me on Instagram is the uh, Oklahoma softball girls. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. And they're talking about how nothing can fill joy in your heart besides Jesus. And they're saying, like, yeah, we've worked hard for this championship, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if we win because we still won't be, like, satisfied like, yeah, we'll be happy for a day, but the next day. So that's kind of like you were doing all this crazy stuff when you say, but you weren't getting joy out of it until. It's weird. You know, like I was, I was actually lonelier. I remember like laying on my bed and just saying, I'm actually, this is the loneliest I've ever been. And it'd be like all these different girls, you know, on you know, various dates and stuff. And I'm like, I'm so lonely. I mean, it was like the opposite of what you think it's going to be like. Like, you know, like there's that scripture that said those who 
seek to gain their life will lose it, and those that seek to lose their, lose their life on purpose for God's sake will gain life. You know, like that really would come true. Like, I would do stuff for, like, FCA, you know. And for years we'd do that, and, um, and it seemed like, not pointless, but like, and not meaningless, but like, not very impactful. I'm like, is this even doing anything? I'm just showing up at seven in the morning. Sometimes there'd be like one guy would show up, you know, like, and I'm buying all these shoes boxes and I'm like, this is, it'd be like freezing cold out. You know, I'd come in like whatever, 10 degrees and come in the morning and, and I'm like, but you know, I don't know. I just like, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't know what else to do. It's like, this is my post. I'm just going to do it, you know, and, and like, and um, that some of the, the greatest stuff has come out of that FCA. Like, the joy, you know, these girls talk about, like, just, that was just so cool. Like, if you do it for the wrong reason, for power or prestige or money, that's just not riches, you know. I think I, I heard a Thomas Jefferson quote. I think it was Jefferson. One of these guys, I don't forget. I just read it. I should have screenshotted it, but it said, like, um, the greatest riches is not working. Something like the greatest riches is not working for money or position or power. And you realize that once you've met someone who is living that way, you realize how poor you are. That was the quote. Like he said, like once you meet someone who isn't living for money, position, or power, then you realize how poor you really are. Because that that's true riches. You know, like coaches. Yeah, like you, you think we know people like this, and you're like, that is a truly rich man, you know, like he just because it's not. You could t- when you're talking to him, you're like, no, like he is so fulfilled to his core, to his soul. His laughter comes from his deepest part of his soul, you know, and the and his and his the things he gets angry about are things that affect people's souls, you know, yeah. things that he gets triggered about everything he does is like transcendental they talk about like things that transcend this world that's the stuff that that's his economy that's the culture of his economy. that's god's economy he's just the most christian the most christian man i'm around you know his culture is like he just because that's what they say jesus was about he was only about things redemptive things every action by jesus was redemptive which is things to redeem us back to god anything to get people to god which is not money and not, you know, like nice tables and chairs and stuff and artwork. <clears throat> None of that. Really, I mean, it could be a vessel to get us to God, you know, but it's meant, that's what it should be used for. That's like what I want this gallery to be like, you know, an element of it to be available to help people connect. And then, you know, hopefully point people to God that's always trying to like reconnect myself that way to get to be a vessel to help connect people to God because that's what these, this Nick from Michigan State did for me. He connected me to a God that I was disconnected from. And that dude just selflessly came down there. Never heard from him since. Never reached. I should have reached out to him, you know, but it's uh, the stuff that transcends this world. That's, yeah, that's what I want to be about trying to do and like, uh, connect with my, you know, myself too. Like, let me work on that stuff and that, you know, model that for my own kids. You know, I want to like model that. Like, and your parents probably do that, right? They seem like they have modeled that for you. And oh yeah, 
like you and I remember your mom bringing you down here for the art show. Like, oh, it's just like that's so cool. Uh, the third Friday, when yeah, you were a junior or senior, I think you're a junior then, or something. yeah, junior or senior, maybe, yeah, because I'm trying to remember if it was before or after COVID. Because people typically take art sophomore year and senior year, so I don't know if that was you. Like, did you take it sports art as a sophomore and then advanced sports art as a senior? Yeah, I think. I I had I think I had your one of your classes every year because I took sports art, advanced sport sports art, and then I took uh, what's the independent study or painting or oh I took painting and, and then advertising and designs and then with Mrs King I took drawing, pottery and then does she have an advanced? Dang, you took a ton yeah, of art. I did. <laughs> so you did architect. You're and you're not going to do architecture. Well, what are you doing? You're doing design. No, so I'm doing city planning and then minoring in architecture, but they say what really matters is your master's in architecture. So after college, after sports, if... You're going to do a master's in architecture. Yeah, if I'm... Okay, good. And there's there's this other dude, I tried to talk him out of a major, one of my good students, Kurt Nelson, and he went into photography, and I was like, do not go into photography. He's like, okay, I'm like, what are you going to do with that? He's like, I'm going to be a wartime battlefield photographer. photographer. Yeah, I'm like... Like a okay. full metal jacket, kind of. Yes, I'm like, okay, that's that's the worst career path I could ever. T- what? What do you? And this dude who like grew up in Bay Village. I mean, like a nice life would go to you know ski ski resorts all the time. And I'm like, dude. So he does. Okay, so he does two years in it. Switches. I don't talk to him for like five years. You know, Kurt Nelson, good dude. You know, good looking, tall, good looking dude. And, um, he goes in two years. Switches. Without, I mean, I found this out later, switches into design, like um, changes major. He's at RIT, too. I mean, nice. Rochester Institute of Technology. Yeah. I'm like, dude, all the degrees you get at RIT, you're doing photography. But whatever. So he does two years, majors in design, switches, gets a design degree. That's a hard degree, too. Yes. Design. That is like, a tough degree. That, yeah. Because RIT has a great industrial design program. That's what he did. But I never knew it. So then later I talk, I connected him. He's like, hey, I'm doing design for um, Axe Body Spray, you know, all that stuff. I'm like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I thought you did photography. He's like, well, I switched to design. I'm like, you did? He's like, yeah. And um, I'm like, you got to come and guest speak. So he comes and guest speaks. I'm you like, know what? I was in a cl- – did he do the Vancouver Olympics for vitamin water? I remember you got you had a guy come in and talk about how he was doing design, and one of his big projects he did in his career was vitamin water. Is that the same? He was guy? an older dude. Though. That's an older dude. Right? Okay. Yeah. That was one of my buddies from um, F three uh, Rocky River workout. Program, okay. I think. All right. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Because this Kurt Nelson came in, I think before you, pretty well before you. I haven't heard from him for a while, which I need to reach out. Okay. But he said he got his job, so he got his job there, but the photography made him shoot up the ladder because. They had this problem with this um, this container that once they had it all built, they would inject the shampoo or whatever in it, and at one point it would just explode. And they just were just going to have to redesign the whole thing, which is a big financial loss. They have to go and do a complete redesign. And Kurt just said, hey, and he was just like a new hire, like first year in. He's like, hey, how about I just set up my high-speed camera and we'll just photograph it as you're installing the stuff, and then when it um, when it breaks down, he took these photographs of it, and when it exploded, 
he just he was able to identify the exact spot they had to reinforce. So they reinforced just that little space of oh, wow. made it whatever whatever a mill, a nano, whatever thicker, save the whole like company a ton of money. The redesign would be like, I don't know, two hundred fifty grand or something. He immediately got promoted. And so at this point he's like 28, 27 years old. And um, I'm like, how many projects are you overseeing right now? Like, and I'm thinking five or six, because he was describing, he said <clears throat> something like 84 or 120. It was somewhere around there that he was in charge of different, you know, product designs for X. I'm like, dude, but it combined the major that I was trying to talk him out of is what got him his job, you know. And so it's like, you know, as long as you, I think we peripheral just just I don't know, seek your passionate stuff. They got to use it all together. Like, I mean, the end wrestling got me my job at Ed's. And everyone said, that's the most useless. It felt like, why? everyone's like, why are you doing this? You're walking on, you're not even on scholarship. You're not even, you're getting your brains beat up. You know, like, I, you know, as a walk-on in one of the toughest weight classes, I was getting thrashed. The yeah. first two years, I just got thrashed. I would come back and I just looked just pulverized, you know, in the face. Because I just had a whole position to just try to just keep a good position just keep dudes away from me. Like, I wasn't fast and agile. I would just hold position and someone shot, I just dropped my face, you know, try to block with my head. So, but at the end, that's what got me my job. You know, like, God just weaves together everything. So, it'll work out like that for you, you know. Yeah. I think you'll have a more diverse, when you have those unique, diverse uh, combination things, especially if you go get your master's in architecture, that's going to be so interesting. Um, there's that uh, show called Abstract. Did we watch that in any of your shows? I don't think so. Any of my classes. So there's this arc. You, so write that down. you got to watch Abstract. Is it's it on Netflix. Netflix? Okay. Yeah. And there's an architect in the first season. This one on, on this architect dude. who He's designed like a bunch of NFL stadiums. He's a German architect. It's very inspiring. You know? oh, the yeah. dude's kind of weird and nuts. Um, like just like, he's like, like, I don't know. All this. It's just, you'll see it. He's a trip. But he does like crazy, really neat design stuff. It's like a combination of industrial design and architecture. He'll like rethink like the whole um, does these outside apartments and like the 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 way he did the parking garages in this German structure is so cool. Pretty sweet. Yeah, you'd love that abstract. It's 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 you know at the time I thought it was like a four or five star. Every time I play it for my class, they're like, "Coach, it's two and a half stars." Just shop, I'll watch it. It's really good. Yeah. The Nike, the guy who did Nike Air, he's on there. Um, oh wow. The Nike Air, yeah, that, that one's so interesting. The shoe design, um, what's his name? Tinker Hatfield. Okay. Tinker Hatfield. So and he was an athlete. He was a, a track star for Oregon. Oh, well, this is the dude that like started Nike. No. Or, oh, did he? Because um, I know the dude who started Nike was at Oregon was his coach. Okay. So his coach was the guy who started Nike and then brought in Tinker to help him do designs and rejuvenate uh, the, the Jordan line. And he saved the owner credited Tinker for saving Nike. Like Nike was gonna go belly up because in the nineties they were losing it to uh, Reebok was killing them okay. with all the jazzercise shoes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny, you know, because they go back to that, and then he does the Jordan, and Jordan was gonna like skip ship, you know, get out of there. Have you seen that movie yet? Which one? No, I don't think so. They just came out with an Air Jordan movie, and. I wish I could remember what it's called, but it's basically just, it's all about, it's not, 
about Michael Jordan. It's about the business side of the shoe and how they had to like convince Michael Jordan to sign with Nike over, yeah, these other big yeah. shoe companies. Yeah. And um, oh, Matt Damon's in it. Oh, really? Yeah, it just came out like four months ago. Wow. Yeah, that's probably a, like a, a pull-off of this because it's super – it gets into all that stuff like where he gets in there and um, – You'd like it too because he's from out where you're at, and his whole lifestyle is like it's it's pretty pretty cool, um, but a lot of hours. You know, like that's the thing to be aware of. Like he talks about that. He's like, you know, I really missed a lot of my kids growing up, and it was kind of sad. You know, hearing him talk about it. He's like, what I had to do. You know, so yeah. All right, coach. Well, we're we're over two hours, so uh, no way. Yeah. Holy cow! Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. All right. You're good at getting people talking, man. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Like, I feel like this would be a pretty good job. But no, who listens to the radio anymore, you know? Oh, they listen to podcasts. I'll yeah. Joe Rogan. Yeah, that's true. Crush right. If you got, hey, you know what? I mean, like, if you're meant to do it, it doesn't, don't even, don't overthink it. Yeah. And out where you're at, that's what I noticed in Denver is like, I said people out here are just way more daring. Like, when I did that painting there, these people jumped right in. And it's inspired me. That trip out there. Like, I'm like, I way overthink things. Like, people out here, they just do stuff, you know? And they're in like, Cleveland or in Denver? Denver. Uh-huh. And they said it's because everyone's transplants out here. We all had to just, like, get up and go, you know? Like, just make it happen. Like, no one knew anyone out here. That's the way this lady described it. That, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's what my brother did. And when he got there, there's so many people from Cleveland and Ohio in Denver. Like, his friend group, he never met these kids, but they all coincidentally are from Ohio. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really, yeah, it was very interesting. So, I think, um, yeah, like, just do it. Do your passion and, you know, just, I don't know, like, burn the boats. Kind of, not, you know, burn the boats, you know, but, like, to some degree, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, like you're doing. Exactly. 